Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. As we reach the end of the school year like no other, I wanted to thank all the school staff listening. The work you do has never been more important to the communities you serve. Today, I have two guests with me. Anne Heavey, Specialist Education Lead at Oak Academy and Director of Whole School Send, and David Thomas, Curriculum Director at Oak National Academy and Principal of Jane Austen College. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Hi. Uh, We're going to talk a bit about Oak Academy today, how its offer is expanding to serve schools and families in the next academic year. But before we begin, as ever, just to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Okay, so um, I'm sure everyone probably feels like they, they know what Oak Academy is for. But for those who haven't actually kind of looked at the materials in detail or heard about your plans for next year, can you tell us a little bit more about that, David? Um, Yeah, of course. So Oak started uh, the Easter holiday um, as something that we pulled together in a massive rush in that two week break to try and help schools that maybe didn't have the capacity to be able to be providing remote education for all of their children for a huge variety of reasons, right? There's a great diversity of our schools and some of us um, serve communities where there's so much need, it was taking up all of the staff time just to go and meet that direct need, let alone be able to go and record video lessons. Some of us have staff demographics and then it was very difficult to be able to um, have all of the time that you need to produce remote learning materials because all of the staff had to provide their own childcare and so on. So there was a sense that across the system, there was a great unevenness in the capacities that schools had to be able to provide remote education. And there were a group of uh, of us who felt like we were in quite fortunate positions in our schools, and we wanted to be able to try and share some of that fortune with others. And so we came together to, to provide Oak as just as a platform for video lessons. That's all it is. Um, we wanted to try and provide lessons so that we could help out our colleagues across the sector. And if they weren't able to be producing those lessons, or actually they would rather take those lessons from someone else to free them up to do something else, like support their children who do have greater needs, then they would be able to do so. And so that's where it started. And we've learned a lot in a very short space of time and and learned a lot of things that with hindsight, we wouldn't have started in that way or wouldn't have done it like that. But that's what happens when you build something in a few days over the holiday. Um, and so that's we've learned a lot that shapes how we're moving into next term. And we've been doing a lot of surveys and user interviews. And it's really come up with uh, four consistent pieces of feedback that um, have shaped how we're changing things for next year. So the first bit of feedback that we've heard was about being really timely and how we share things. So we released a curriculum map at the end of the Easter holidays that um, could be taught from pretty much the next day. That's not a huge amount of warning for schools. And there are plenty of schools that said to us, you know, we would love to have used the materials. We'd love to start them earlier, but we needed to be able to plan around that. And not having enough notice meant that it really restricted the ability which you were able to support us. So 
we've released all of the curriculum materials already for September. That's not the lessons themselves, they're being filmed right now, but all of the curriculum plans and mapping has already been released. So schools have time to look through that and see what might be able to help them with their contingency planning for September. The, um, the next bit that we heard was about flexibility. So the way that we were working from uh, the Easter holidays through until the summer was we were making lessons a week at a time. Now, what that meant is it was quite hand-to-mouth, and so schools had to use it in quite a hand-to-mouth way. And you either used what was released that week or you didn't. There was no flexibility to say, well, actually, I want to teach what you've got planned in week 10 now because that's the order in which my children always learned it, and we built up to that. And you just have to take it or leave it. Um, but actually, you know, schools spend so much time and investment in their curriculum, working out what order they want to teach things in. And for very good reasons, it's a huge diversity of curricula because people are adapting what they teach to the children that they have in their schools. Yeah. And so we want to be able to support that rather than constrain people to doing things in the order that we happen to have planned it. So uh, all of the lessons that we're making over the summer and we're trying to make about 10,000 lessons over the three-week period right now, um, will be available from the start of September. And that means that if you would rather start your secondary science curriculum with forces instead of cells, you can do forces instead of cells. But if you want to do cells, not forces, you can do cells, not forces. Um, and it just gives schools the flexibility to be able to teach things in the structure that they would normally, normally use rather than being bound to ours. That's the second thing. Um, the third is about integration. Um, people love the fact that Oak is very easy to use. There's no login. You just go on the website. Anyone can access any lesson. So if you are a child who forgets your school username and password on a daily basis, um, as all of us will have found they do, um, it, th there is no reason that you can't get onto Oak and do a lesson. The downside of that is that it was harder to integrate with what schools already did. So schools that had built a system on Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams, find it quite difficult to integrate. So we've been working quite hard on making it as easy as possible. And there are a bunch of technical constraints. So I'm not sure quite how far we'll get, um, but we're trying to make it as easy as possible to integrate with all the big uh, VLEs, learning management systems and so on. So that if your school already has a platform that you use and you decide you just want to use Oak to fill in some gaps or just for one subject and not another, it's very easy to drop it in. Um, so you don't have to try and take the whole thing. And, 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 and the last bit is about making materials downloadable. So lots of parents were saying, that actually, my child likes having some time off the screen or I've only got one device between a few children. Lots of schools were saying, we're using this with, say, our key worker provision in school and it would be lovely for them to be able to do worksheets or do exercise on pen and paper. And lots of teachers have been saying, you know, actually, this, this lesson was great. I really like that bit. I'd love to take that resource and be able to use that as well. So we are trying to make as many of the materials as we can downloadable. And um, there are copyright constraints about that because when we're using something that belongs to someone else, we can't just make all of their stuff freely downloadable. We don't have permission. So we won't be able to make absolutely everything downloadable in every way. Uh, but our principle is to be as open as we legally can be. So that's um, kind of the journey that we've been on, some of the, the things that we've learned and wish we'd learned earlier and how we're adapting those for September. And you mentioned the huge number of lessons that you, you're creating for September. Uh, and how have you recruited uh, all, the, all the people to, um, to create them? 
um, with, with difficulty. Um, so there's a, there's a team of probably over about 500 teachers now um, uh, and recruited in a huge variety of ways. And um, so we have, uh, we've built a, a pretty diverse team from, uh, from multi-academy trusts, from maintained schools, from primaries, from secondaries, from special schools, um, from the NHS, um, where we're looking at the therapy. Um, so it is a really, really big diversity of people uh, from, I don't have a stat to hand of the number of different schools they come from, but it, it would be a lot. And, and a lot of those people kind of working initially as, as volunteers, what's the, what's the, um, the situation there? Yeah, so lots of those people are people who have been volunteering to support Oak from Easter. Um, but, but not all, you know, the, the scale that we've had to grow to, to try and produce about 10,000 lessons in three weeks is much bigger than what we were at to be producing about 250 lessons a week. Uh, that's a big order of magnitude change. Now it's also easier because lots of teachers are now being released from their schools or they're starting to work in the first few weeks of summer holidays. So they don't have other things on, so they can do more in a week. Um, but obviously we, we needed to grow the team far beyond what what we were had in the summertime. And, and, and obviously something that, that de developed slightly after Oak launched initially um, is the, the SEND offer. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about how that has, has grown and developed? Yeah, um, so the first thing we made a conscious decision to do, and I'm gonna be a bit mischievous here, is actually not to build a send offer. Um, because we thought a lot of um, the features of the, we'll call it the mainstream offer, but the, the existing core offer, mm. were incredibly inclusive in ways that are actually really difficult to replicate in the in the classroom in a traditional context. So I'm really happy to tease those out in a minute. Mm. Um, but we decided to call it the specialist offer to cater primarily for pupils that would be attending specialist school settings, um, perhaps kind of at the engagement model level, um, who typically had um, additional needs around communication and interaction and cognition and learning and not to kind of seek to have something that was an other send offer. Um, we also think it's really important that pupils were able to draw on content that best suited where they were in that learning at the moment, which might be the key stage three history and also the specialist numeracy. And actually that freedom to cherry pick felt really important to us. Um, and, and kind of offering schools that flexibility is really exciting. Um, we had a really big challenge in coming up with a specialist offer because I'm sure your listeners know there isn't a national curriculum for specialists or for special schools. Every school, every specialist mat comes up with the appropriate offer for their cohort and their intake and they're incredibly fluid often. Um, so we brought together a really dedicated and imaginative team of teachers, spoke to parents, um, spoke to some of the leading thinkers in the field to really understand what a core offer could be that you that could be drawn on by lots of different schools that have different language around lessons and subjects um, that might do mixed age group teaching typically um, that might structure content thematically so we, we agreed sort of what we're calling subject domain areas um, which will sound familiar for example numeracy um, we have communicate, uh, communication and language rather than English, um, because it really is looking at those foundational steps in communication. Um, we thought it was really important and a really valuable opportunity to create an independent living curriculum that could really foster within the home context yeah. the real 
context those essential life skills and knowledge base that are going to be really crucial to children as they kind of make their steps into into hopefully a more inclusive society um and we also thought there was a a, a wonderful opportunity to introduce a therapeutic element um so initially that was around occupational therapy physical therapy and speech and language therapy and we've expanded that for this new phase to include sensory integration that was some feedback we had um that was it was a bit of a gap in our offer at the moment and if you think about actually preparing for that return to september to new routines new structures for pupils whether they're in specialist or mainstream settings that have needs around that we think that's going to be a really valuable contribution and quite innovative um and we've added in for the for the sprint phase this current phase a new subject area of physical development um one of the pieces of feedback that we heard and were quite concerned by was that some pupils that have um, additional needs around their physical development, their fine motor development, um, were losing skills because there wasn't an appropriate way to confidently develop and maintain those. And we were very, very concerned about youngsters that might really struggle to get some of those things back. So via our occupational therapy and also our physical development curriculum, we're looking to put something quite substantial in place to secure some of those skills in so that um, worries about regression um, can be addressed um, safely at home. Um, and one of the other things we heard was that our early development content needed to be together in one place. So rather than spreading it out across all of our subject domains, we decided to create a space for all of our early development content, which really dovetails with the engagement model, um, which also launches in September. And I'm sure governors um, are very aware of that and school leaders. Um, but we've really looked to kind of lean into the planning and the thinking that schools will be doing around the engagement model with the sensory stories, the sensory circuits and early learning experiences that we're offering there, which will support the kind of more subject specific elements um, but also probably be most usable for schools at that point. And then the biggest piece of feedback we heard, which has really challenged us, and um, we've had to be quite creative in how we respond to, is that the lessons that we initially created work for a lot of families in the home, but for some children, um, they actually required a lot of translation, if that's the right word, from, from a parent, from a sibling, and from another carer between what was on the screen and the and the home context. So we're shifting our outputs to really focus on making sure that the family are confident in creating those authentic learning experiences. And so the video content will be much more around explaining a learning sequence and unpacking it for a family, demonstrating how to safely create learning experiences with what you've got at home, you know, on the sofa, in the living room. Um, and they'll be supported by a sequenced resource bank that you can use to kind of create the menu of learning that will best suit where you are um, at home. And we're looking to make as much of that downloadable and editable as possible. That flexibility to really think about where is my child, where is this child learning right now? And um, what is the skill we're going to learn this week? Um, because whilst issuing that content week on week, um, enabled us to create some really exciting learning opportunities. It doesn't necessarily reflect how, how some of our children are developing, where they might need to spend a week rehearsing and overlearning a skill before moving on, rather than do five separate activities in a week. 
Um, so hopefully this will really enable schools and families to work together to build that meaningful learning at home that's really pitched correctly for that child. Um, but downloading and copyright are areas we're learning about at speed. <laughs> but but as, you, as you say there, you're, you're really allowing, by the environment you create with the, the parent or the, the sibling being fully informed about the activity, the child being in that home environment and that familiarity, um, you know, they can they can concentrate much more of their their energies into the activity itself rather than necessarily adjusting to the screen or, you know, working in a different way. And, and they've got that sort of added kind of almost home home advantage, I, I, I imagine. Um, I thought the the webinar was 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 really um, um, interesting and, and I learned a lot from from listening to it. I'll put the links to, to, to the webinars um, in the notes from this this podcast, particularly on that point about um, physical activity and, um, you know, young people wanting to be more active. And, you know, we've all probably been a bit less active than we than we could have been, um, you know, locked down and staying staying at home. Um, I think that's a, that's a really um, exciting aspect that you're doing, that you're doing more to support that um, going forward as well. Um, and uh, in terms of, of, of how schools are actually using um, the content, I know we mentioned it's it's difficult to, to, to track because because of the setup. Um, but have you had sort of um, any any examples of, of how how schools are using the, the resources, um, perhaps how how schools are making the, the content um, accessible and or, or any kind of statistics that give a feel for how how the, the materials are being used, either of you? So um, we know that the specialist content has been um, accessed by just under 80,000 users. Wow. So it, it's. It's getting out there, which is really exciting. Um, a lot of schools have really drawn on the therapeutic content, both in school with pupils they've got coming in, but also um, kind of really encouraging families to pick it up at home. Um, it's a new and exciting development offering these um, types of content remotely. Mm. Uh, so I think it's really interesting to have worked on a proof of concept, I think, there will be lots of people that may have a view on whether it's good and you know how it could be refined but we have proved it's possible and that's really exciting and i think a lot of families have asked for this historically and been told it's not possible so we've, we've maybe shown that there are things that you can achieve on that front and we've but we've heard about um you know members of support staff working with small groups through activities as well which i think is very helpful if you're supporting youngsters um whose needs you might be becoming familiar with rather than really well versed in, you know, this period where you're perhaps working in school with pupils you've not worked with before because you've been assigned to a new bubble and you're learning their needs and their interventions. Um, so that's certainly been a use. Um, in terms of sending the content home, we've heard examples of um, schools recommending it to their families um, and kind of providing that advice about how do you take a video lesson aimed at a child and translate that. So we're trying to take some of that step out in what we're um, refining, um, just just to kind of free up some of that school resource um, to either kind of make those tweaks at a child level themselves to send home, or to um, make it a little bit easier um, for families, particularly siblings. That was one of the lovely stories we heard was you know, where there were maybe 
two or three devices in a home rather than one for every person, it was a really good way to manage the devices um, between siblings or specific learning opportunities between um, an older and a younger sibling, for example. Um, we had a couple of examples like that, which um, I think were quite exciting and recognise actually the reality of the home life. Like we are learning through our relationships in our context. Um, what we've also heard is that there are there are significant groups of learners who are typically in mainstream settings who, because of the way the mainstream content is developed, have engaged with learning in a way they found really successful and enjoyable that might have been more challenging in a traditional school environment. And I, I personally, I'm really excited by this because I think you've got youngsters through this period, you know, we're hearing a lot about how awful this period has been, but there is definitely a group of youngsters who have accessed well-sequenced, well-designed, well-pitched lessons that they can keep up with. They can pause, they can extend activities they're really enjoying, and they can understand and keep up with. And we can also direct content from other parts of the curriculum to them to engage with. So I think that this is why I don't want to call our specialist offer a send offer, because I think the whole offer is, mm. um, good teaching is good teaching for all children. And that's what um, the Oak Academy is embraced. Um, I think there is a lot of learning we can do around how Asenko can take some of that content and build some extra support around all resources going home that really um, lean into a child's specific needs. Mm. Um, and I think that's been a little absent from the wider debate, sort of how do we pick up kind of the offer in this period for remote learning? And I think um, hopefully the Oak resources play a part in that, but they can't actually remove the Senko and the class teacher really knowing their child and the adaptations they require in real time to their learning. Um, and I, I think there's, there's so much we can do, mm. but there's, you know, we are not replacing a school. We're here for a school for you. Um, but I am, I am really excited that we have created something that has helped child, some children develop these successful identities as learners in a way that they just couldn't before. Exactly, and I think when you say the kind of the, the flexibility is 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 there, uh, also thinking about specialist settings where if we are facing a lot of illness over the over the winter and ab absence of staff or where access to therapeutic resource and sessions is is limited by geography or funding or whatever whatever reason, you've got something extra to 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 draw on there, as you say, not 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 always as 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 tailored or whatever as it might be but, but there's there's something there to 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 use and, and and working with alongside what what else you offer david what's your sense of, of how how schools are are using oak academy and so it, it's difficult to infer sometimes because as Anne said we don't um we, we don't ask anyone to log in we don't have any tracking data that tells us uh, you know what school someone comes from um what we do know is, firstly, that a lot of people are using it. Um, so I, uh, I I don't have to hand the up-to-date number of however many, but last time I checked a couple of weeks ago, we were on 16, 17 million lessons done. Um, so we know a lot of people are using that. We know that um, every day there are over about a quarter of a million users who are doing lessons on site. Um, so we know as well that there is a stable user base because mm. we know that the vast majority of those are returners who are coming back and using the site again so it's forming a, a consistent part of their education so we know there are a lot of people we know is a fairly stable and fairly significant user base 
what we have done with schools is go and do interviews, go and do surveys and try and find out how people are using it mm-hmm. um, because that helps us improve it and shape it for next time. And broadly, there's two camps. Um, there's a camp of schools that are uh, taking the, the entirety of the oak offer and saying, this is what we're providing. We're switching the focus of our staff now, not from providing the, not providing the lessons, but really making the education happen, doing the feedback, calling up the children, checking in with them, helping them where they're stuck. And they are taking on all of the interactivity and the feedback and all of the things that no bank of video lessons could ever do. Um, and so they're taking the, the whole Oak curriculum as it is. That's, the, that's what they're using for providing uh, the instruction. And then all of the other bits of the teaching, the feedback and so on, they're, they're providing themselves. So they've made a switch. And um, the other way that we're seeing schools use it is uh, taking it and adapting it, taking some bits of it, weaving it in and carrying on with other bits themselves. So we've seen schools have said, um, you know, we love our English and our history curricula. We've really figured things out so that we teach the history of the period that we're studying the novel of and it all matches together and it was beautiful and it took us years and we've developed this and you know we will die on the hill of teaching this disorder in this way with some back there and it's right that they carry on and crack on with it and but they're saying you know actually um in say maths what, what oak is offering is very similar to what we'd be doing and so we want to take that and again we've switched our maths teachers into focusing on giving the feedback on giving the support and so we're seeing schools do things like um, uh, set the Oak Academy lesson to be done, but saying that the teacher is available in a Google Hangout or in a Zoom call for a set hour, so you can come and share your work and get the help. So they're, they're finding ways around this that um, mean that their time is freed up to offer support. Great. And I mean, the, as you said, the, there's a lot of flexibility there. You're producing the, the curriculum uh, maps in advance so people can think about how, how it might work for them next year. But I think there's just a sort of natural level of resistance um, from, from some, I know some people that I've spoken to about u- sort of using other people's materials. Um, what would you what would you say to people yeah, who, sort of, I, who feel yeah, who feel like and I was really proud of what we built as a team and I would I really recognize that you know that instinct to have reflected on where your school is at where your cohort what's at what you're hoping to achieve with your curriculum and having spent that time building it and if if I thought someone was coming along and saying in two weeks we've built something better which is not at all what we're saying but I I think it's very easy to kind of pick things up on Twitter or whatever. I, I would probably raise an eyebrow as well, but I also think there were points, certainly as a head of department in the past, where I had gaps in my resources and I had moments where I was a teacher down and I needed something to support that gap and to support where we were. And knowing that there's a high quality resource bank that you can draw on as needed, that isn't, you know, this isn't the national curriculum online. This is a resource bank that will support you if you need it, how you need it. And it's not a virtual school that's going to erase all schools. Um, but I think once you pique people's interest and those curriculum plans really do lay out what we've got to offer, mm-hmm. you can relax into it and, and have, have a scope around and then figure out, you know, is, what, what is useful? What do I need? How can I use this? But I really, I really relate to that initial feeling of, oh, 
I, I'm really proud of what we have because we've built it um, and I think that's okay. Yeah I mean uh, I think the education system would be poorer if every school got rid of what they did and just took over right like the education system in this country would be worse if that's what happened and I think you know, we've got to be really really clear about that um, but next year is not a normal year right I mean I know that I've just been working on our school's reopening plan for September. I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast is doing, be doing very similarly. Um, you know, government guidance remains that if someone in your household develops a fresh cough or a temperature or has a funny sense of smell, your household is isolating for a fortnight. I just imagine the autumn term. Like that, this is not going to be an autumn term like any other. And in some senses, is going to be much harder for us to deal with in the summer term. Because through the summer term, at least school was closed. And yes, we've had our key workers and vulnerable children in. Yes, we've started welcoming back in some year groups, but it's been organized. And what we're about to face in the autumn is not organized. It is sporadic absence, often from whole families. Um, it is the potential for classes, year groups, entire schools to be sent home with very, very little notice. We're not operating in normal times. And so I think that uh, every teacher and head of department who looks at something and goes, oh, but I like what I do, is right to do that because they've invested in that and they've built something and they've developed their own practice around it. And they've got to a point in the classroom where the resources and the curriculum intertwine with the practice of how they deliver it and they are optimizing something. And no other resource that comes in and upsets that balance is necessarily going to be any better because there is an integration of resource and curriculum and practice and culture and all of those things that comes together to create a classroom. Um, but if there is something that you can take from outside that helps you deal with this most unusual of years that we're going to be finding ahead of us, that means that your children can still be educated even when they're not on site, that's got to be worth having. Because you know, the, the great teachers who are developing curricula and making that work in their classroom are, are not going to be able to and shouldn't be spending their evenings after they have delivered mm. all of their in-person lessons, recording their own uh, you know, online lessons to go alongside it and doubling the length of their working days. Like that is not going to lead to good things for that teacher or those children because that teacher is going to burn themselves out and so you know i do think that we're going to have to just be a bit more creative as a profession uh, to be able to make things work next term and asking that of individuals to be honest is just a bit unreasonable i think we've got to find a way as a system of supporting each other to do it and hopefully hopefully it will play a part and it's not the only part, right? Like we don't want to pretend that we are the only way of helping have remote education. You know, schools will be using other platforms. They will be using other providers. They will have things already dovetail with their own curriculum and they should use what's right for their children and the full mixture and diversity of things that's right for their children. Yeah, and I mean, as you, as you say, it, it will be a real difference between the sort of blanket, all schools are closed from this date till this date to to much more individualised absences, lockdowns, bits of schools, um, bits of the country potentially, um, and having 
you know, it, it, much much harder to, to switch switch mode like that. And as you say, having something in your in your back pocket to to to, to work with is going to be very very useful. And as you say, not not mandatory, not um, a national curriculum of, of of sorts or a default national curriculum. It's there for people to kind of magpie and integrate with with what they're already doing. Yeah, and um, you know, we, we talked at the beginning there about how how Oak was built very dynamically uh, and and collaboratively uh, and crucially very quickly. <laughs> um, how might how might it have been uh, been different if 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 it had happened in non COVID times? One wonders. But um, do, do, would you just tell us a little bit about um, you know exactly how how frenetic and uh, interesting that was? <laughs> yeah, interesting in the way that only British people use the word interesting. Um, uh, no, it, it was mad. Um, and the Easter holiday was supposed to be my honeymoon. So I was supposed to get married at the start of the Easter holiday. Um, and one of the many kind of COVID casualties, but you can't feel too sorry for yourself in the world where there's, there's been far worse consequences. Um, it, we knew that it had to be ready for the start of the summer term for it to be useful um and so there was a natural deadline and you you know you say how would it have been different if um if it hadn't been in covid times i just don't think it could have happened mm. um, and and i'm not sure we would have wanted it to happen either right you know i think it was it was fixing a particular problem and that particular problem was um mass school closure at a time when the mass of teachers also gained you know, caring responsibilities for their relatives and their children and so on. That meant that you couldn't just shift everything online in one easy swoop. No, devices and so on aside, um, the workforce wouldn't be able to do it because teachers have their own children and their own families and the provision that they were relying on had also been removed by closing schools. So um, it, 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 there was a problem unlike any other. And I think that meant that people were extraordinarily generous um, with their time. And nobody who came forward to teach lessons uh, came forward doing so on, on the belief of any payment and didn't get any. Um, yeah, everyone came forward to do this because they thought it was the right thing to do, because they thought it would help. Um, and I just don't think that would have happened in any time other than other than crisis. So it was it was a an interesting period, as you say, um, with some very tight deadlines and some very late nights. But it was the right thing to do, and I don't think you could have galvanised that group of people um, or any similar group of people without the immediacy of the problem that was presented to us by COVID. And Anne, any reflections on that? Yeah, and the specialist offer could only have been born in this kind of context. Um, there have for years and years and years been debates and discussions about whether it's possible to build a single coherent offer. Um, I think we've, we've had a go and we've brought people together that have been prepared to find the commonality across different languages, different structures, different assumptions, different principles. But I think it takes kind of a real crunch moment where all of our assumptions are falling away. To, to kind of find that innovation and find the, the motivation to, to get together as a group and, 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 and build something that lots of people can buy into. And um, I think it's extremely exciting that we've given it a go. Um, I 
I don't think this is by any means the finished product because we really built it at pace and there have been trade-offs, but I hope it's the start of a discussion about what our national core offer should be mm -hmm. for these people because it has been an entirely open space and we have you know, the engagement model provides some support to some of that thinking, but I think it has shown there is a, a value in, in at least having some agreed areas and, and some agreed principles. Um, and, and certainly the remote therapeutic delivery, I, I think possibly in some areas that, that has been in place previously, but as something that a child anywhere in the country can access, that certainly wasn't the case tonight. And there were certainly pockets of resistance. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we all have a view on whether that's the ideal way to access video therapy, but the fact that it is possible is encouraging. Um, and I guess in the in the, the case of some of the specialist offer, putting putting a lot more in in the hands of the parents um, mm -hmm. to to use and access as 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 they want to, um, or as they think their their child child needs. Again, it's an interesting um, model um, thinking about de future developments. Um, and I think you I think you're right as you say. So many things seem to happen, especially during that that early period that you would look at maybe from the outside and go, gosh, getting all of those people to agree or getting that that thing to move or go forward, you could imagine, you know, 18 months worth of chat about that. <laughs> but if you if the need is there and the energy is there, you can you can really compress that as you've demonstrated. Um, obviously, um, there's been support from from the DFE. And you know there has been a little bit of criticism in the in the press, and as you mentioned earlier on on Twitter and elsewhere, about about money being awarded to support Oaks work. Um, what would you what would you say to to, to people who've kind of been um, skeptical ab about that? I mean, I, I think it's right for people to be skeptical about government money given out without um, without tender, and I think that all of us would always want. Uh, public money to be spent as transparently as possible and think that the right way for government contracts to be awarded is to be done through a proper competition and a proper tender. Um, all of us would want that. And, you know, I think if we were to rewind time, um, anyone in the department would probably think that uh, the right, you know, they wish they had maybe seen this coming earlier and uh, award, awarded a tender for this in February, January, the second news came out of Wuhan, right? But um, but what happened happened and i understand the department's decision to say that what mattered was getting something done quickly and guaranteeing delivery and um, rather than going through a tender process that might have compromised the ability to deliver on time just as they have in lots of other areas of government so you know i think with hindsight um all of us would would rather that that had been seen earlier and been able to do something through public tender um but from the situation they started in, I, I totally understand the decision to say that what matters is getting the delivery to the children. And, and I guess it, it just then becomes part of communications with the sector forward to just be transparent about, you know, as, as you would be anyway, but how that money money is being used and for people to, you know, who have their questions to ask them. And, um, you know, Matthew Hood in particular has been very good at, um, at, at trying to to explain those processes kind of clearly and succinctly, um, so I, you know that that debate may may continue. But um, um, as you say, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy situation to anticipate. Um, so, 
Yeah, and I would say as well, I guess, that the fact that we did get that money without it going through tender, I think, places a set of obligations on us mm. that um, are maybe beyond the obligations that are, are on people in ordinary circumstances. And I think there's an obligation for us to be that transparent. I think there's been an obligation on us to try and be as representative as possible and to make sure that we are uh, actively trying to serve as many schools as possible and really having that kind of mindset of service. When we were building the curriculum, we worked hard with the department to build a set of advisors around each subject area and around the specialist offer um, who could help us be as representative as possible to find out what most schools were doing because there was no point us building something that we thought was great and ideal, but that didn't actually align with what schools were doing anyway, for exactly the point that you already raised about people being attached to what they've invested in. So uh, there was an obligation there. And what we could have done is said, right, we'll produce a year's worth of content and got started three weeks earlier and had a much easier life um, by not going through actually quite an extensive period of consultation. But doing that was the right thing to do because you know we didn't, present a curriculum and have someone judge that it was the best one. We got given the money and told to deliver something. So you know, we have to operate in a different way because I do think there's an obligation on us because of you know the, the situation that we, that we find ourselves in. Um, and finally, I mean, we, we've touched on it a number of times throughout our conversation, but, but what are your thoughts about, um, you know, beyond this immediate um, uh, pandemic period, um, do you think there is a role for something like Oak, Anne? I, I mean, I certainly look at this and think it could play a part in supporting schools that for whatever reason find themselves a teacher down or with disruption on their curriculum or pupils who will be at home for an extended period, perhaps recovering from an operation or an illness. Um, and I certainly would have drawn on something like this as a subject lead. Um, from the more specialist end, I think this is really blown open um a debate around what curriculum looks like um in this in this part of the sector which i hope will be the catalyst for some more discussions and thinking in this field i feel like we've we've opened pandora's box but we really need to kind of keep exploring and talking about what what our expectations and offer should be and i'm not advocating for national curriculum for special schools but i think we, we, we have proved that it's possible to find a common language and common starting point and um, that we really can construct meaningful sequences. And I think we should continue to explore and, and, and tease out what we can do in that space. So I know not everyone wants to hear, but that's what I think. And David? It's a difficult one. I, you know, I think that what we've done solves a certain problem I'm very proud of trying to build something that solves that certain problem. Um, but we have we have an asset on our hands. We have de developed something to help the sector in a particular circumstance. And, you know, this particular circumstance with children not being able to be in the classroom because of COVID, then will be other circumstances in the future where children aren't able to be in the classroom and where schools want to be able to find a way of continuing education provision for those children. Um, and if we can help in those future circumstances as, as well, then it, as we've already touched on, we've got public money to create this and we should try and make it as useful for schools as possible. So I want to be really careful about mission creep 
And I don't think that's the right thing for us to do. I think we've got a goal. We should remain focused on it. Um, but as long as we are rooted in that importance of serving schools to help them deliver education where their children can't be in the classroom, then I'm happy for us to try and help them solve other problems as well that fall within that remit. And any final words for our listeners on, on closing? Can I just uh, say for yeah, the feedback sure. we have had from, from schools, from families, because it has helped us take the office of the year ahead and, and we've made changes in response to that feedback. So we'd like to keep hearing how you're using it and we appreciate that the time you spend getting in touch is valuable. So I, I guess thank you. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would double up on that. We have changed fundamentally how we're doing a bunch of things because of that feedback um, and keep it coming. And we will not get everything right. You don't do something this big this quickly without making some mistakes. And we want to make fewer mistakes because we need to hold ourselves to a high bar because we're trying to support schools and we won't, you know, we, we won't do that if we are making big errors. But there will be things that we could improve. And please do continue sharing that with us. We just want to get better at how we help schools. So um, do share and we will do everything that we can to act on it. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much, uh, David and, and Anna, for your time today and for telling us more about Oak Academy. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions. Ooh.